Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible study podcast for women. I'm your host, Amy Spreeman. Check out all of our Bible studies at naomistable.com. Now, here's today's lesson in the book of James with teacher Beth Seifert. Welcome back to our study in the book of James, ladies. Today we're going to be in James 1 still, and we are on day 3, and I've titled this lesson, Self-Deceit. We'll be in James 1, starting in verse 19 and going through verse 27. The last two days we've seen James use this letter to encourage the suffering believer and to point our eyes to our eternal hope as we endure what it means to live in this fallen world. Now, James goes on to give practical, specific counsel in terms of what our behavior should look like as believers. And ladies, if you can get through these eight verses without saying, ouch, that one stomped on my toes, well, you probably need to read it again. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to James 1, starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the world and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So remember where we left off. We are to be first fruits, regenerated, sanctified, and being made more and more in the image of Him. If we are first fruits, it will be seen in our lives. So what does James start with? Anger. He warns the believer to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger because our anger as humans doesn't produce righteousness. In fact, man's anger frequently is destructive. So ouch right there. How often do we get angry, even perhaps about things that we should be angry about, but our anger gets out of control and before we know it, we're sinning. Yes, we should hate sin. We should hate our own sin, especially. And yes, we should hate the things that God hates, like abortion, for example. However, if my hatred of abortion leads me to hate everyone who is pro-abortion, I'm sinning now too. We should hate abortion and we should fight against it, but we should not be fighting as the world fights. We shouldn't be considering bombing abortion clinics and murdering other people 
in our determination to end abortion. That's an extreme example, but let's be honest, it doesn't have to be that extreme for us to be sinning. Perhaps my child hasn't done what they were asked, and as my child is now a teenager testing the boundaries, perhaps they mouth off to me with an attitude that is both offensive and insolent. Should they have responded that way? No, of course not. Might their response make me angry? Absolutely. Does that mean my anger is inherently righteous and I can respond out of that anger? No. Does that mean I don't respond out of my anger and sin myself as well? Sadly, no. I respond out of my flesh far more often than I should. Often just listening and not speaking immediately helps prevent me from sinning and helps me not to provoke my child to sin even more as well. Verses 19 through 20 were some of the first ones I had my sons and I memorize when they were small. It's a great reminder to all of us as to what we are called to do. But James doesn't stop there, though. He then lumps pretty much every other sin together as he urges the reader to put all filthiness away and all rampant wickedness away. But he doesn't just stop with putting away, and this is important. He then goes on to say, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here's the thing. Just not doing the bad thing? Well, that's a good start. It isn't enough. Not doing the bad thing is appropriate, but if you aren't replacing the bad thing with what truly is good, you're going to find a gap that you're constantly trying to reach over. James gives us the answer to where we will find that replacement. God's word. Receive with meekness a desire to submit to and understand God's implanted word. That is what is able to save our souls. Remember what Paul says in Romans ten seventeen, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word is where salvation truly is found. The word is able to save souls. It is only through God's word that we can see who God is, who we are, and learn what we need to do to be saved. I've said it before, but a Christian who doesn't have a desire to read God's word and know more about him is not a Christian that's described in scripture. That's a huge issue. We should be feeding on God's word so that we may live lives that honor and glorify him. Ouch. Again. Look at the next thing James says. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. If you only take it in and there is no putting into practice what the word says, you're deceiving yourself. Think about that for just a second. You can know a lot about scripture but if that knowledge never translates to a changed life, you're fooling yourself and you aren't receiving the benefit of the word. You're not. If you're reading his word and there is zero change in your life, you need to ask God to open your eyes and your heart to his word and to apply it to your life. Far too many people read his word and check the box, but then go on and live as though they've never seen a Bible. That's simply not biblical. So stop doing all the wickedness. Replace your wickedness with scripture and then obey and do what scripture tells you to do. Again, do you see how scripture is to inform every aspect of our lives? Ladies, we cannot expect to live lives that please God if we are not in the word in the first place. And we cannot call ourselves students of the word if our study is not followed up with right action. The analogy James gives here is one that you have to stop and think about. 
So picture a person who goes to check himself out in the mirror, intently. Not a casual glance, but seriously peering at himself. The second he goes away from the mirror, he can't remember what he looks like. That sounds just utterly ridiculous, right? I mean, you've just been staring at yourself and now you can't remember what you look like? Have you had a traumatic brain injury that prevents you from recalling recent memories? That's the only way that makes sense, right? But that's the point. Someone who stares intently at himself in the mirror and then goes away without recalling what they look like is just like the person who hears the word of God, maybe even studies it, and then goes away and doesn't see his own need for repentance, doesn't see his own need to act in obedience. In essence, doesn't realize that what he heard or studied has anything to do with his own life or habits. James then contrasts that person who hears and studies but is not motivated to right conduct with one who hears and studies and is motivated to right conduct. The one who is motivated to obey the word and not just hear it, that one will be blessed. That person, when he or she looks into the word, sees the perfect law, sees the law of liberty in scripture, and then perseveres in doing what the word says. And that person will be blessed in his doing of what the word says to do. There's a huge contrast. I see all the time those who profess to be believers, but then you watch their lives and there's no fruit. They profess Christ, but insist that they don't need a church. They claim to love God, but their very language is full of blasphemy. They claim to love God, but champion causes that God hates. This is why it is so important to ask God to help you to understand what his word says and to help you to apply it in your life, to truly seek his will in all things instead of trying to find ways to squeeze your own agenda into scripture to justify your actions. It's not always easy, and I do understand that. But honestly, isn't it worth it to do the hard work to be sure you are honoring God in your actions? Ladies, God's word isn't a law of burden and slavery. It's freedom. It is the path of life so that you can be free from the bondage of your sin. The law of God's word sets you free. Don't look at his word as a chain. Your sins are the chain that holds you down. The word holds the key to your freedom. One of the biggest themes in James is how our very tongues are out of control. Individual little sin machines. Sinning with your tongue is so easy. It's so quick and it requires no effort or forethought. Many other sins you may have to seek opportunities to engage in, but using your tongue to sin? Nope. And he starts that conversation here, but he's going to circle back to it in more detail in chapter 4. If anyone thinks that he is religious, but doesn't bridle his tongue, they're deceiving themselves. If you make no effort to control your tongue, like you're just giving free reign and never think about your words, there's a holiness issue there. We should be constantly on the alert considering whether we are gossiping, slandering, blaspheming, etc. We need to consider whether our words are being used for building up or tearing down. That doesn't mean we don't tell the truth, but we do so in love. Now, again, we'll get more into this in chapter four, but for the moment, keep in mind how telling it is when someone thinks that they are good to go with God, but their very mouth says the opposite. James tells us again, these people are deceiving themselves 
and their religion is worthless. Ouch. James then makes this statement contrasting the religious person who doesn't control his tongue with what is truly religious. Now here's the thing before we even address the statement. A few years ago, a very popular push among believers was to redefine Christianity as a relationship and not as a religion. The idea was that the world doesn't like the terms religion or religious, so we should change it. But since when do we let the world tell us what words we're allowed to use? That's not a reason to stop using the term when it's a term that we've been given by God and need to use it rightly. We shouldn't be ashamed of the word religion and seek to replace it. We should instead teach what this means. And here it is according to James. True religion, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Focus on that for a second. Why the emphasis on the orphan and the widow? Well, look back throughout scripture. Do a word search on widow and orphan and you're going to see all throughout the Old Testament God's instructions for the care of his people. Specifically, he has directions for caring for those who have no one else to care for them, the widow and the orphan. Over and over again, as God indicts his people for their sin and rebellion against him, he also points out their failure to care for the orphan and widow as a huge moral failing. His anger is stoked against his people when they neglect the defenseless among them. God notices these things and condemns the people for their lack of concern. This was one of the basic evidences of doing what God said, not just listening and walking away. And it still is. We should be caring for God's people, especially those who are alone. And then he tells us that pure and undefiled religion before God is also keeping oneself unstained from the world. Ouch. Religion is not just a relationship. It is a right heart that loves God and seeks to honor him through our obedience in our own lives, hating our own sin and seeking to triumph over it and in our obedience to care for the forgotten as God commands us to do. That's what religion is. That's what God says religion is. And God says that there is a religion that is pure and undefiled, and we should seek to be in line with what he says is pure and undefiled religion. Period. Ladies, there is so much to chew on here today and so many ouch moments. James's letter calls us all to put our money where our mouths are, to live what we claim, not just pretend. He is drawing a sharp distinction here too. We should not look like the world in our actions and our words especially. All of those things reveal what is truly going on in our hearts. If your actions demonstrate no care for the things God cares about, no concern for obeying His word, no concern for His people, no concern for Him, if your mouth is R-rated, you should be concerned. If you're not striving to kill those sins, if you do not hate your sin but excuse it, you really need to examine yourself to be sure that you are truly in the faith. I don't say that to be mean, ladies, but out of a sincere concern for the state of your soul. This is not about behavior modification, because all of this starts in the heart. But if there is no behavior modification, that should be concerning. James lets us know clearly that the one who listens intently to the word of God prospers in godliness. 
It is through the word that we know him. It is through the word that we know how to honor and please him. And we are only truly free when we are doing what is pleasing to the Lord. Outside of Christ, all we can do is sin. It is only with the Spirit living inside of us that we can fight our sin, that we can even have victory over our sin, and we know that we cannot please God when we are still in our sin. Hebrews makes that clear when it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. But God provides even the faith we need, ladies, to please Him. It's all there. If you're feeling your toes stomped on today, there's hope. Take it all to Him. Ask Him to help you to hate your sin, to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Ask Him to point you to Him and to grow and sanctify you, even if it hurts. Know that these things are in Scripture not to discourage you, but to spur you on to greater love for God, to examine yourself, to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. These things are here to sharpen us. And yes, sometimes that is going to hurt. But oh, when we apply it to our lives, the blessings of obedience are real, ladies. Don't give up. Run to the cross. He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness when we repent. Consider today what things God may be revealing in your life. Perhaps you need accountability in taming your tongue. Seek out a godly friend to help you to hate this sin. Perhaps your default response is anger. Again, take that to God. Ask Him to help reveal the root of that anger and then to help you root it out. Whatever else in your life that God may be revealing under the whole all filthiness and rampant wickedness, don't keep feeding and protecting that sin, ladies. Let God reveal it and deal with it. Humble yourself. Submit yourselves to His word that very word which is able to save your souls. I can't help thinking of John as I type that. Who is the word? Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word that saves your souls, ladies. Submit to him today. You'll find the notes for this study under the Bible Studies tab of the website, naomistable.com, day 3 self-deceit.